G'day everyone, welcome back to another episode of Spark Your Fire. Uh, this is our Friday wrap segment. Uh, I think we've missed one week last week, so um, <laughs> probably probably deserve a bit of slap on all of us <laughs> for not making it. I'm sure there's been a lot of disappointed listeners go, what the hell are you guys doing, man? Seriously, like... We can't live without a week of Friday wrap. I'm sure that's what we're all thinking about. So here we go. We're probably going to try to give you guys, try to give everyone double the amount of content today. <laughs> Hopefully it won't go, go double the amount of time, but um, we certainly try to uh, do a bit of catch up because there has been a lot to talk about this week. But before we jump straight in, gents, Jazz, John, how are we doing? Uh, really good, mate. Sorry for last week to the listeners and to you guys. Long weekend plus lockdown so got a little stuck and a little lazy probably <laughs> john was lazy not me right john yeah welcome to my world guys uh missing appointments you know lazy uh yeah good to good to be here guys must be friday i thought i thought i woke up this morning i said it feels like my favorite day again uh here we are looking forward to chatting to you guys about uh about all the things that are making the world move and shake awesome all right mate so let's jump into this week's news. I think we'll start off with the, the headline topic that we have is um, the FOMC meeting, which comes back to the US Federal Reserve, um, has officially signaled on Wednesday that they expect to raise interest rates from a rock bottom, literally zero, sooner than they had previously forecasted. Okay. So that comes back from the federal chair, Jerome Powell, basically kind of making that indication to say, look, you know, we are doing a bit better than what we were originally anticipating. Inflation is going really strong um, on an annualized 5%. So, you know, in line with what we're currently seeing in Australia, really. Uh, but, um, you know, that statement itself, sorry, just coming back to the US uh, FOMC, um, that rate raise um, indication there, that statement itself has basically shaken up the market quite a bit. Uh, this week. So I guess, gents, I'll use that as a bit of a lead-in um, for you to, <laughs> to be able to give us a bit of indication on what, what that statement has, a, has an impact on the market in general, like, um, for example, share market and uh, precious metals. And I think we'll start with John this time. Lucky me. All right. I'll make all the mistakes and uh, uh, Jazz can, can mop up. So look, the, the, the FOMC meeting is always a big deal. And this one in particular was interesting because it came off the back, as you said, David, came off the back of a big inflation number the week before, mm. big inflation number. So, you know, the, the, the inflation number, number in the US came out at 5% annualised. And remember, they're targeting 2%, but they're targeting 2% on an average basis. So if it goes over for a bit, that's okay. If it stays under for a bit, that's okay, as long as they're averaging 2%. But we're, we're bump, bumping along at about 5%. So all this inflation that we've been talking about for a while is starting to materialize so that's the, that's the first thing so um so then we roll into the fomc meeting and they say something along the lines of and i think it's been reported as though they have signaled that they're going to be putting interest rates up twice in 2023 but actually it was more vague than that they said that they were thinking they were going to consider thinking about putting interest rates up in 2023 two times now, two times probably means two times a quarter of a percent, uh, which means half a percent in a couple of years from now. So first, first, my first comment is um, that it's pretty vague and I don't know if they will do it. So US 
debt to GDP at the moment is 130%, it's 130% of GDP. By 2023, it'll probably be 150% of GDP. And they're still on their uh, bond buying binge and the debt binge. And the debt binge is going to continue unabated until then, let's say. My question is, what damage would even two small interest rate increases do do at that time to a, an economy that's much more indebted at that period of time. So what I'm saying is I don't know if they can do it even if they, uh, even if they want to. What I think they'll do is talk about raising interest rates and keep the markets in check that way. Um, so that, that's the first thing. It's going, to be, it's going to get harder and harder to raising interest rates the longer they leave it. Um, second thing is, is really like, you know, the markets are shaken up by what is essentially like a really small talk up in interest rates. We're talking about two interest rates increases in one year, two years from now. My gosh. And if that shakes things up, we're in a lot, we're, we've got a lot of problems. Um, so that, that would, be, I guess, be kind of how I'd frame it. What happened? The markets were actually pretty resilient. They did get knocked around a bit, you know, on the, on the Thursday morning where they announced it, uh, Thursday morning our time. You know, the Dow got hit quite a bit. I think it was down 600 points at one stage, but it closed down about 200. So, look, the markets, this is bad for, for, for asset prices. However, I think the market, as it slowly digests this, is going to realise that there's, we're, we're hyperinflationary until then. And even when they intervene, they're going to intervene in such a meagre way that it probably won't stop the party. But... Um, yeah, but things change. So what, what do you reckon, Jess? So I think you nailed it, John. Uh, just one thing uh, on the overall interest rates. If we look at the history, I mean, history is uh, a great way to predict what the future is going to look like. Doesn't always repeat, but does rhyme, right? So if we look at that, in the past, when they have tried to raise interest rates, which I don't have the exact uh, the charts in front of me, but was around 2015, 16, whatever the year was, the rate rise that they did, they actually had to not only reverse the rate rise, but they actually had to drop it further. And we saw that during the COVID period and pre-COVID, how the rates were uh, from more than 1%, they pretty much brought it down to zero, right? So the point that I'm trying to make is every time that they have tried to raise the rates, maybe they have managed to do it for a smaller period of time. Smaller period over here means year two, three, but overall the rates are in decline. And that is very obvious. If you look at in 1970s, 80s, whatever it was, we were sitting at 18, 19, 20%. We are pretty much down to zero. So one, even if the rate, even if they raise rates, how long can it be sustained? is the question, right? Secondly, like what John said, even if you raise the rates by a quarter of a percent uh, twice, it will bring it to 0.5, right? Does it really impact the, does it really change things in a, in a larger schema of things? Probably not, because it's, you're still at 0.5. All you're trying to really do is curb the inflation by showing that the rates are gonna go higher but it's more just trying to control the markets or the hyperinflation or the transitory inflation that we were talking about in the past in a, in a more orderly fashion, I think is what they're trying to do because they are worried about inflation. And one way to control inflation is what? Job owning. Right now, what we are doing is job owning. Like uh, John mentioned before, the debt to GDP sitting at about 130%, right? When you have got that much debt sitting there um, and the 
all these multinationals, all the all the all, all the big oligops, they have refinanced their rates at almost zero percent or to their uh, to the lowest point they can. When the rates start to shoot up, all those businesses are going to get impacted, right? Along with the rent rises and everything else that kicks in, the domino effect. So I don't think it's really sustainable. I don't think it's possible that they'll be able to raise rates too much, a little bit just to try and uh, put a control on the market, uh, especially the real estate market in the US is really hot like in Australia. So the market's running hot over there, rents are shooting up. So uh, you gotta you gotta curb that in some shape or form, form. And the only way you can do it is by talking about the rates. There's no other way they can currently control this market. And that ties back into the property cycle that we have talked about, or talked about before, which is three to four year cycle. Maybe at the time the prices will be uh, going, uh, will be at the towards the last like, last leg of the cycle, which is very explosive. And when you see that kind of explosion, that's when you want to control the prices. And that's where probably increasing the rates by 0.25, 0.5%, I think, won't surprise. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I think, I think that's, that's great. And I think it actually leads me into, I guess, the, uh, you know, the, the, same, the same type of conversation that has happened earlier this week in Australia as well. Because um, I think if I, uh, there's, there's been an ANZ economist update uh, in terms of saying that they forecast that an RBA will be tightening in two steps in 2023 to take the official cash rate to 0.5% by the end of 2023, which is somewhat similar to that type of indication message that we've just been talking about from Jerome Prowell. Um, the question, the interesting thing here is, um, and I guess this is a question for both of you, um, do you think that Number one, this is going to be sustainable, or are we going to be a false start where you know by 2023 they may have to make that increase, cash rate increase to 0.5%. And then they might assess and they go, oh, actually, no, we're going to have to drop it back again. I reckon it comes back to something that Jazz said that I disagree with. Because I thought, Jazz, I think you, you you nailed it in a couple of ways. But there's one thing that you said which I think is interesting, and I think kind of ties into Dave's question, which is you said they're worried about inflation. I don't know that they're worried about inflation. I think they're getting exactly what they want. And I think this is kind of the big elephant in the room. Is inflation a problem when you've got this much debt or is inflation essentially your get out of jail free card? I'm not sure that they're worried about inflation. I think they're going to pretend to be worried about inflation, but they need it because they need to deflate the debt. There's too much debt and they need that to go away. And inflation's all that's left. Um, I think Australia is more likely to raise interest rates because we're not the reserve currency and we need it for trust. So if, if the RBA is talking about interest rate increases in a couple of years, I, I would say that that's more likely to, to transpire than if the Fed did it because the Fed's got a lot more tools in their arsenal. Um, but, um, you know, bring it back to real estate. If you, if you look at the, at the state level or the country level, yes, inflation is good for, good, good for the country because... That you're getting rid of the debt in in a in a different fashion, right? But if you think it from a consumer's or the citizens' perspective, it's obviously going to impact a lot. Where people already cannot afford houses and all that stuff, right? And all of a sudden, the prices shoot to go through the roof again. And the subsequent effect of that is the rents. I think I think is the point. 
to your point, you're spot on on that, that at the state level or the country level, it's good that they're seeing it. I'm just picking up on something else you said as well. Like if, if we're going to let inflation run hot until 2023, what are house prices going to do? So what's going to interrupt the house boom? And I mean, I don't know. I don't know what could possibly interrupt it. Besides just we run out of affordability and like that, that could peter out, but what do house prices look like so when a, that happens? So they, they're going to stop at a much higher rate than mm-hmm. we are now. So you're right, John, on that. But that's a, and that's a really interesting point. Actually, RBNZ, RB, RB, RB which is uh, Reserve Bank of New Zealand, basically um, issued a statement earlier this week just on that, that they're now incorporating house, house prices in their macroprudential policy. And the way they're planning to tackle that is by looking at debt to income limits. The debt to income assessment criteria was never even there if you go back a few years. So Reserve Bank of New Zealand is already working on that as a macro tool to control some of these prices, right? So I think you're, you're spot on there, Jazz. And you know that, that actually ties in with one of the news articles that I saw earlier this week, in fact, earlier today. Um, APRA has actually written to lenders on in relation to home loan risk and DTI, which is debt to income ratio, has been flagged as one of the things that the Council of Financial Regulators, which consists of the APRA, the ASIC, the RBA and the Treasury, is what they're going to be monitoring on. So I think they certainly, they, they saw what uh, the RBNZ, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand has done, and now they're considering to say, look, you know, this is, you know, we're not going to stop inflation as such, but we are going to keep a close eye in terms of how the household debt to income has been coming. And, you know, if the wages are not growing, that means the affordability is somewhat capped. So you cannot go over a certain degree. And, you know, Jazz, you and I are being basically seeing more and more lenders started to do the DTI cap. Um, you know, even though people can service the debt, but as soon as you hit over the DTI of, say, six or seven, they're saying, no, we decline your application as such. That's probably the only way they're going to control moving forward. Yeah, the, the problem with that, like, it's it's true. Like, that's exactly how it's going to pan out. They're going to leave interest rates low and they're going to compensate for that with regulation. But the problem is, like, from a from a wealth generation perspective, you know, wealthy countries don't do that. Like, we, we you know, became wealthy because we would let prices tell us, we would let prices give us signals. The interest rates are price. And we we let most prices in the economy find their, their spot except the most important price in the economy, which is the interest rate. So in a free market economy where we're all getting wealthier and prices are generally declining, whatever, you know, gentle deflation in a free market economy, um, prices, prices do what regulation doesn't need to do. So we would have higher interest rates in a free market economy and less regulation because the prices are, reg- the prices are doing the regulation for you. That's what's reigning in silliness and excess and speculation, all that sort of stuff. So, so you don't need regulation because you've got prices that tell you how scarce something is or how abundant something is. So we're, we're, we're miles away from our foundation, right? So we're miles away from our intellectual foundation. So the, and, and yes, they will they'll regulate. So the key word over there is free market, John. This is not a free market. Mm. When, you're, when you're controlling the repo rates and all that stuff, right? That is not a free market. When you're trying to job on the market uh, by talking about interest rates, it's not a free market. Free market, uh, maybe probably the best example to the uh, to give for that uh, to give for that um, will be is if you look at some of the interest rates that are being offered in the crypto lending world, 
right? Or the crypto debt market, right? When you look at that, the interest rates that are being offered is anywhere between five to 20%, right? Yeah, yeah. So you can call that a free market because there's no job owning happening over there. There's no uh, regulatory body as in the Fed or a reserve bank that's controlling it. That's called a free market. This is not a free market. This is uh, This free market ended when we moved away from gold as a, as a reserve to the fiat system, right? So this is not a free market anymore. This is, this is all manipulated market. Uh, the game's rigged. Uh, and just, just, just to put a footnote under this, because I read something and if I don't say it, I'll forget it, but it really, it really hit me. You know how I'm reading that Bitcoin standard book? Mm-hmm. He, he goes through this monetary history and then he says something like, you know, he goes, do you know why inflation is bad and makes you poorer? Because inflation's going up, asset prices are going up, everyone thinks that's good. Governments like inflation. Why does inflation impoverish places like Venezuela? And the answer is quite simply because you sell capital to fund consumption. You sell capital to fund consumption. So when you go to your bank and you borrow against your house, you're actually uh, you know, reducing the, the, the capital value of your, of your wealth to fund consumption. And that's the trick that inflation plays on you. You sell capital to fund consumption. I think I think the important message over here is even though uh, F- uh, uh, Fed Chairman uh, Jerome Powell is talking about raising rates, uh, which a few months ago or a year ago he said we are not even thinking about thinking about raising rates, and now talking about we probably will do it in 2023. All it tells you is basically they're seeing some inflation in the market. They do want to con- or more than an inflation, it's it's uh, transitory inflation, what they call. Um, they want to control that in some shape or form, and the best way to do that always is job one. Uh, and if they rate, if they raise rates, I don't think it's going back to. Uh, I don't think the cash rate is going back to two or three percent anytime soon in the f- future, even long term future. So, even if you raise by uh, 0.5 percent over a year and then drop it again in a few years, uh, I think just look at some of the European markets. They will probably tell you what's going on and if it's possible or not. So difficult to move uh, to move interest rate back up ever since you move it down, especially when you're close to zero, right? So, all right, now that was some constructive uh, discussions, gents. Um, so that's good. We'll, uh, we'll we'll move on to our next topic, which is uh, one of our favorites, the big short. Michael Burry uh, is starting to warn uh, the, of the biggest market bubble in history. So when you got someone like this of the, the you know this this significance uh, who's able to obviously. Um, be a contrarian across the GFC and still came out the other end even richer than how he was before making that type of statement that definitely puts a bit of weight in terms of seeing you know reviewing what he's saying so on Tuesday he warned of the biggest market bubble in history suggesting that his concerns about rampant speculation only grew during his 10-week hiatus from Twitter now I quote he's saying people always ask me what is going on in the markets it is simple, greatest speculative bubble of all time in all things by two orders of magnitude. Wow. And there's a hashtag flying pick 360 as well. So <laughs> I'd be the latest one across the uh, across the hashtag game. But uh, yeah, look, I think um, if Michael's making that type of statement and we talked about it for a few times, uh, gents, I know on this podcast, what do you what are you guys what are you guys seeing out of this? It's, it's been saying this, and I think this ties in with a lot of our discussions today as well, right? Assets keep on getting inflated, inflated, inflated to the point. To what to what point does it end? And to, to what point does the bubble burst? And I can see Jazz, you, you can't you can't wait to jump in. So I'll get to you first this time, mate. 
so here's the thing he's calling everything a bubble whether it's the real estate or whether it's gamestop bitcoin dogecoin robinhood spack share market every, coin. every everything according to him is bubble and we've discussed that on the podcast before uh that the prices are inflated right yes uh but when you're living in this kind of environment where the interest rates are near zero and the money supply is increasing that is going to happen now the question is is he saying that the markets are going to correct big time or is it just going to keep the trajectory upwards right if we look at the history again history doesn't need to repeat itself but if we just look at the history every 10 years there's a crash we saw that the last crash was last year we saw that the big one uh 10 years before that the crash was in 2008 gfc 10 years before that probably i think it was the uh dot com bubble before that it was the uh, another recession so point is every 10 years there's a crash we just saw one a year ago his point is fair everything's a bubble and we 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 have always said that the property prices are inflated if they were not uh rba in australia and the other countries would have to intervene and stop the debt payments or the interest payments on those properties during that period because people would have been able to afford it but because it's inflated people can't afford it uh economy suffers yada 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 right so i think the important point is whether are we going to see a correction or, or not now when you see the base money supply increasing and proposals like biden's budget of 6 trillion uh and a crash that only just happened a year ago right now the main thing for most of these countries is to stimulate the economy as much as they can which means all the assets doesn't matter which one it is is going to go up higher and higher right so on his part he's right that we are in a all things bubble but what does that mean i don't know i don't think we going to see another crash like 2020 unless there's a covid 2.0 uh that shows up uh within within next year or two hopefully not uh but i think this is what it's going to be like so if he's shorting these markets he did short tesla by the way uh if he's shorting these markets uh we are nowhere as smart as him so but from what the data says it's going to be like this uh and it's going to be like this for probably good part of this decade maybe will be maybe maybe down the uh, down the uh, later part of the decade we'll see some kind of correction when these all these precious metals stock markets property prices have gone crazy higher which would be expected at that time but right now at this point after the crash where the economy is trying still trying to rebuild itself businesses are still trying to uh, stand on their feet just don't see how it's going to happen he's going to be right but i don't think in any short to near term but he's michael burry i'm jazz so <laughs> you're jazz <laughs> so so what you're essentially saying is look it's going to happen it's going to correct itself but it's not going to be in the near future because of all the money printing that's still going uh you know the biden 6 trillion budget that it just proposed you know this is going to be another huge flux of cash fiat whatever you call it coming into the market so uh, how's that going to how's that going to correct itself john do you have a different opinion here 
No, I think I think you nailed it, uh, Jazz, and you, you said he's going to be right, but when? And I think that's true. Mm. Uh, look, I, I was thinking the same thing when you said, but we just had a crash in 2020, a big one, and a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff gets washed out in those processes. So, you know, we don't necessarily, we're not very good at allowing our banking systems to restructure, you know, right off the bad debt. That certainly didn't happen this time. Governments intervened and, and you know, for, for good reason in many ways. But, uh, but we didn't have a, a proper cleansing, which is what a recession is supposed to do. But we did just have a, a crash, right? So uh, what I think is that the, the, the next crash is not that soon. But what I think we will have is flash crashes. Now, the trick for us as investors, right, is to find undervalued assets wherever they are. So he's talking about an everything and everything bubbles, probably right. He's broadly speaking right. But I, I, would, I would sharpen the nuance a little bit and say it's an everything except precious metals bubble. And, and this is not, you know, advice or anything like that. Everyone do your research. But what I'd suggest is look at look at asset ratios. Look at ratios between asset class one and asset class two, and, and what um, what it appears to me as though uh, assets like gold and silver are relatively undervalued. I mean, silver's fifty percent of its nineteen eighty price, which is which is you know staggering. Um, but but look at ratios. Find undervalued assets. I also think you know in terms of how to play it, you've got to look at your own age. Because there, you know, as Jazz said, there's going to be a crash every decade. Maybe uh, another crash uh, this decade. We, we don't know. But if you're if you're young, you you know, stay the course. If you're old, adjust your your exposure to to reflect your your risk tolerance because it's just going to happen. It's just a normal part of you know, in, investors. You, you know, just to, to finish off, there's a um, there's a saying I only heard today, he talked about the difference between being a day trader and being a decade trader. You want to be a decade trader. And if you are a decade trader, you don't need to worry so much. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be too worried about the markets in general at this point. I think they're all headed north from here for the next few years, from what I can tell. Obviously, you want to stay, obviously you do want to stay away from... Uh, Elon's tweet a little bit uh, talking about Dogecoin and a lot of other stuff. So uh, as long as the underlying asset has got uh, some kind of intrinsic, intrinsic value, you'll be fine. If there's no intrinsic value like Dogecoin, then then, then there's a problem. <laughs> Says Jazz and then tomorrow Dogecoin is going to go up another 20. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd agree. I just, just I'd say uh, buy things with natural scarcity. So things that are, you know, non-duplicatable, things that are scarce that have to be dug out of the ground or they need a process to, to come into the market. So buy things with natural scarcity. Uh, regarding real estate, re, re, you know, um, don't be kind of fooled into predicting the crashes that, ha that everyone predicted last year. And the reason for that is it's real estate is, uh, yes, an asset class. Yes, it's affected by leverage, but it's also just accommodation. And it's going to be the last people thing people sell when they um, when they get desperate. So so people aren't going to say, "Oh, there's a crash. I, I need to sell my house." That's that's not going to happen. But yes, it will go up and down. And real estate is a bit of a political play as well. So yep. you cannot just let that go down uh, mm. like that because there's the effect of that is on the banking system. And when the banking system goes down, everything goes down. That's right. And, and you can't let uh, your housing market crash if you want anything resembling a middle class. Mm, good point. 
Never thought of it that way. <laughs> there you go. John always has some great wisdoms to share, that's for sure. But while we're on real estate, let's talk about some real estate charts that we're seeing this week. Um, first of all, from macro business, Australian dwelling value since COVID has actually gone up 10%. So we've actually, you know, the housing price value has actually gone up 10% since the start of the pandemic, which is pretty staggering when you think about it. You know, it's only... It's only just over a year, I would say. Just yeah. over a year last year, I'm still, I still think Melbourne's in lockdown right now, last year around this time, full lockdown. Um, you know, the rest of the states are all on high alerts. And, um, you know, it's, it's only, it only seems like yesterday. And, um, yeah, property's gone up 10% already for those people who hasn't been following the trend. So any comments on that, guys? From everything that I can tell and that we talk over the podcast and talking to some of the other professionals that are in this space, mm. especially talking to some of the professionals that are in this space, their words are, we have never seen market like this before going all the way back to 2005. And this is not just by the way, Sydney and the Victoria market. I'm talking Adelaide, Queensland, Brisbane, basically those markets as well. Uh, the numbers are just open houses. You go to there's big groups, 50, 100 people, uh, offers 10 to 15. That tells you how strong the market is, right? So the 10% is more of a blanket number. I think the number is much higher if you become a little bit more selective, but just talking sure. blanket approach, obviously. Generic, yeah. uh, uh, I think, and based on what we have just discussed before with the interest rates and all the other stuff, I think we are we are in for a run, and the run's going to be pretty strong uh, coming into summer. And once the COVID normal disappears and the normal normal appears, I think the run's just going to get stronger and harder, basically. Yeah, I think Westpac's predicting fifteen percent just on twenty twenty one, but from from memory. So yeah, it's definitely doing going strong. If if we if we I think we said on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that this property cycle will see prices if not double, close to double, means 70, 60, 70% kind of thing. And for that to happen in a four to five year cycle, it has to go up by what, 15%. So 15% we've already seen, another 15% maybe by this time next year, that's your 30% sitting there, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for, for, for it to double, so doubles, let's say, seven. For, for it to double in seven or eight years, it needs to go up by about 7%. Uh, we think it'll double in five years. So what's that? 11% per year? Mm-hmm. That's Compound, not, that's, yeah. It's not crazy, right? So I think ANZ is probably under-egging the pudding a little bit, at least for this year. And, you know, next year is a different story. But, uh, yep, real estate's going to have a, a bumper for 2021. Obviously, what an amazing insight from John on that point. One, one thing I'd say is... <laughs> Is that there's a couple of different issues converging because there's still no stock, right? This is this is still the issue, right? So you've got um, you've got two things that are converging to create this boom. One is demographic issues. You still got baby boomers who uh, have no debt, but they're not selling, right? Why why would a baby boomer make themselves homeless? So the baby boomers aren't selling, so you have got demographic issues, and then you have got monetary issues. So you got um, you've got these low interest rates and no supply you know, colliding. And that's why we've got a bit of a boom. I think we always forget to talk about the demographic issues. Um, so yeah, look, I agree. I think it's, it's hard to see what would interrupt it unless it, the, the, the market fizzles out. 
They'd have to put interest rates up for this to stop. And as we know, that's at least a couple of years away. One thing I would say that's interesting, Jazz, you talked about this before and, and I did the boom signal while you were talking into the camera. And, and that's because you said rents are booming in the US. That's really, really interesting. The reason I say that is because um, the UK and the US property markets boomed before the, the Australian markets. So they, we, our, our markets bottomed last year in about September, so October, November, so things started to get going then. But, you know, no, no talk of a boom. In the US, they, the markets were booming by like June, July, August. Um, and if, if the US is a leading indicator for the, for the real estate markets in general, and they're seeing unprecedented increase in rents, then that might be around the corner from us. There's a caveat though, they have very different rental markets. We have relatively low rents in, in Australia, and that's because we have negative gearing. And it's like uh, it keeps the supply of investment properties very high and it keeps the, the rent rents slow. They don't have that. Maybe that's why. But it's, it's a space to watch. So in the next six months, are we going to see high rental inflation? Maybe. I think over the, over the period of time, um, maybe not towards... I think it will be more towards the end of the cycle where the prices and the rents are so disconnected that we'll start to see prices clamp down a bit uh, or plateau and the rents start to rise a little bit more to catch up with the property prices. And then the rinse and repeat happens that we see basically. Uh, but yeah, it's a space to watch. I, I think uh, it's, it's, I think it's still got some run. So, but for people who are thinking of buying and think this market is expensive, maybe think again, but not a financial advice. <laughs> Love the caveats that always come back at the uh, towards the end. Uh, cool. All right. Well, the next piece that we want to talk about is uh, talk about the net state migration. And I know, Jazz, it's totally feeling this chart is a great representation of Victorians, I guess. <laughs> We're talking about a net interstate migration uh, to Queensland, called Queensland, sunny Queensland, is above 30K. So 30K plus for the first time since 2005. And um, if I, you know, this is coming from Pete Warden, one of our good friends here, um, you know, from with the source coming from Australian Bureau of Statistics, if we look at the crossover around December 2020 and from that point onwards, Victorian uh, in, interstate migration has been going negative. <laughs> they keep losing people, basically. Whereas on the Queensland chart, uh, it's, it's, gone, it's gone bonkers. It's basically gone towards vertical, um, trending vertical towards 40,000. So, you know, and um, yeah, the rest of the states, they're still, they're still, and I mean, New South Wales is still in negative territory, but it's trending up. All the other states are also starting to trend up. So, but Melbourne is definitely, unfortunately, moving, moving away. People are leaving Victoria due to the lockdown and due to all that stuff. So, understandable. But uh, for those people who's got properties and assets in Queensland, I think the sun is about to shine. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Said that uh, start off. Oh, sorry. Post COVID last year, we had that discussion. It won't surprise that people start flocking towards more uh, sunshine streets and more relaxed areas. And clearly that's what's happening. I mean, it cannot be any more obvious than what this chart is suggesting over here. So- You've been talking uh, about it for a while, Jazz. When are you making a move? <laughs> one day, one fine day. I just need to find a new partner, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> 
But long story short, I think it it's in favor of the Queensland market. Queensland market is kicking some goals as well, mm. doing pretty well, performing well from a real estate. All market, I mean, not all, but most of the Australian states are performing well. But I think some of them will out outshine. And Queensland, if the numbers keep going up just like that, uh, and it's a crossover between Victoria and Queensland, looks like all the people from Victoria are going into Queensland. Uh, then there's a lot of money that's going that way because obviously the property prices uh, in Victoria are much higher than Queensland. And when you sell your house over here and buy it in Queensland, there's a lot of money going that way, which means that can uh, put some real sunshine on the real estate market in Queensland. John? Yeah, uh, look, only one thing to add for me really, which is that um, uh, because you've got, like an almost mirror image of Victorians leaving Melbourne to go to Brisbane, which is essentially what the chart's telling us. You can mm -hmm. probably make a case that there's the early stages of a mining boom as well, if you look at the Perth, uh, the Perth line as well. But but what I, my only observation is that uh, the net the net interstate migration does not seem to uh, be impacted by government response to COVID, uh, because Queensland and Victoria had a similar response. Um, and yet they're leaving one to go to the other. The issue seems to be weather uh, and space and lifestyle and, and not sort of government policy, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it looks like kind of in a, in a trader's world, you'll call, call it a death cross where, where, <laughs> where the two lines are Indeed. crossing. Two lines are crossing. Victoria is suffering hard and <laughs> Queensland is performing really well. That's the death cross over here. <laughs> uh, Funny enough, the SA and WA is also starting to uh, to trend up as well. You know, passing zero. So certainly a portion, a small portion of those Victorians probably move into those states. But yeah, as John rightly pointed out, probably more of a lifestyle space type of consideration than uh, than a government policy yeah. as such. Mm. Yep, and it won't surprise at all seeing that uptake where South Australia starts to. Uh, take a lot of intake as well. It will be mm. actually good to find those numbers. Maybe next week we'll try and hunt them hunt, hunt them down. But uh, no surprises. Coming from says coming from the Victorian, I'm sure it's got a lot more validity than any anywhere else. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> All right, gents, I think we're running out of time. Uh, lastly, just uh, want to cover crypto or precious metal. Um, any quick updates here? Uh, in crypto, not a lot, except that it's getting hammered. And uh, one of the big pieces of news, uh, was it this week or last week, was one of the countries, El Salvador, uh, which is, I think, South American mm. country, uh, they have adopted Bitcoin as a legal tender. And uh, the Bitcoin-related apps, which is the Lightning Network uh, for payments, are trending up on top of the charts that people are downloading it and basically using it on a regular basis. Uh, and the funny part is tech world is amazing, mate. Um, with Twitter announcing spaces, which is where basically you can go uh, and join a event or a forum, like in the real world, in a physical world. Uh, the president of El Salvador actually joined one of the forums, uh, which was talking about uh, Bitcoin uh, and mining and all that stuff. So that was amazing that the president just joined in live and talked about how they're making it the legal standard and how they're going to use volcanoes to mine the coins and make it more greener. That was another amazing piece of news. Uh, 
there was another piece of news, but I I cannot recall that right now. I've got a blackout on that one. So maybe we'll next cover week, it next we'll week. Cover that up. Yeah. yeah. But I think that was the biggest piece of news. Having said that, the markets are just, there's a bloodbath in the markets, just like precious metals. Um, it's a bloodbath. The El Salvador thing's really interesting. Uh, we always thought that there'd be some sort of test case with this sort of thing. Um, in a, I thought it'd be somewhere like, uh, I, I thought it might be like New Zealand. I also heard Malta being thrown around that they would that they they might try this. El Salvador's as you know as good as anywhere, but it needed to be a small sort of experiment mm. uh, state. So the, the question for so really interesting having a reserve currency in Bitcoin means you you, you know they're, they're going to have to start quoting prices for goods and services in Bitcoin. You're going to be able to pay your taxes in Bitcoin. Uh, the question I think that will have to unfold over the next couple of years is whether or not Bitcoin can serve as a functioning currency that people buy their groceries with or if it becomes a reserve currency that's held by institutions in the central bank i actually think that it'll be probably the latter and evolve into a a consumer currency later on but i think it'll start as a reserve so i a little bit disagree on that i don't think it will become a reserve currency i think it will become a reserve asset which can be used as a currency is uh, probably the path that it will go down looking based on what's happened over the last year or two with companies sort of putting it on their balance sheet as an asset. So it will more be an asset, but can be used as a currency, but people probably will not prefer to use it as a currency up until the point where it's fully matured to maximize the gains and then start to use it more of a currency, I think. So maybe as a reserve asset, which leads into the reserve currency at some point, starting with uh, small countries uh, and El Salvador being one of them. Uh, There's a few others who are talking about it, but that's just all fake news at this point. This this was the biggest piece of news, I think, in the crypto land. About precious metal. Anything on that, uh, John? Uh, You you know, just, just to smack down, the only thing interesting I'd say is that in 2000, and I think it was 16, 17, when they started the, the process of increasing interest rates, um, that's when gold bottomed. So there's a, there's a sense out there that uh, interest rates going down is good for gold, but actually the, the, the last couple of years where you know, gold formed its bottom and went up to all-time highs actually happened when they started raising interest rates. So gold just responds to monetary disorder. It can respond to higher interest rates or lower interest rates, but as long as it's disorderly, gold likes that. Um, at the, you know, gold's had a bad 48 hours though, so it's hard to know what's gonna, you know, short-term, short-term talk of interest rate increases is bad for gold. Yeah, I think market just overreacted to uh, the Fed FOMC news, which is raising of the rates and the precious metals just got hammered. But yep. having said that, that hasn't broken the trend. Uh, trend mm, is your true. friend until it, until until it's not. Yeah, until the end. So for now, the trend is the friend. And the friend says that we are going north. So uh, so go north, basically. Not a financial advice again. But uh, I think uh, we'll see a sharp rebound over the next year or so in precious metals uh, space. And like real estate and some of the other uh, assets, stock market and all, it will just keep rolling up until we actually see the rates rise and that's where probably the party will pause or end, essentially. Anything else, gents? Oh, that's it. 
Great chat. Enjoyed it. Lots to cover. Missed last Friday. So covering up as much as we can this Friday. Uh, to the friends, none of this is financial advice. Please do your own research. We speculate a lot, but we love to, so we do. Uh, some of them are obviously facts. Others are, some Some of it is prediction and some of it is pure speculation. So do your own research. Don't over leverage. Play safe. Stay safe. We'll see you guys next Friday. John Jason David. <laughs>